0: Well, hello, everybody. Before we get into today's episode, which is a doozy, let's talk about a sponsor, the Woodford Group. Do Monday mornings get you down? Are you feeling unmotivated in your current job? Then it is time for a change. Let the team at the Woodford Group help you find your dream job today. With a focus on senior executive permanent and temp roles within the HR, business support and customer service industries, the dedicated team will help you find success and satisfaction in your new job. Visit woodfordgroup.com.au today. Today's guest has lived a very full life, one of service and giving to others, from serving in the Australian Army to private investigations, firefighting lines, and now working with the charity Due South, which helps first responders and military veterans with PTSD. Episode 71, James Redgrave. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success. And you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. <laughs> well, welcome, James. Thanks. Welcome to the thanks. podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And I love the fact
0: that when I booked you, you said you're ready to hold on to your hat. And I was like, oh, goodness, this is going to be a great chat. <laughs>
1: Buckle up, sister. Mm.
0: Buckle up. I love it. I love it. Now, one of the reasons why um, we connected was through Troy. So Troy's involved in Due South and you're the CEO and founder of of Due South, which is a fantastic charity um, helping vets and first responders with PTSD. Um, But I want to sort of take you back in terms of how you got into that because from the brief conversations that I've had with you, you sound like you have had an absolutely fascinating life.
1: So I'm gonna to have to correct you straight up, girl. Um, Peter Clark's the CEO and founder. I'm okay. just his right hand man. So sergeant at arms or yeah. perhaps you might to call me advisor on wealth of knowledge, old age sage. But yeah, okay. all that all that initial stuff needs to go to Peter Clark, which I'm sure you'll have on your programme. That's fine. um Yes, it is true that my life has been a journey and can Continues to be a pretty extraordinary journey. Um, if I take you back to the beginning, yes, um, do. Yeah, let's let's start there. So, born in Bankstown Hospital, 1969, moved to the northern beaches of Sydney, uh, went to school at North Coco Primary, Cromer High, then left high school in 1985. Went to work at Quick Copy Printing for a couple of quick months and then Royal Prince Alfred Yacht Club. Then started my apprenticeship as a chef in Paddington at uh, Mother McGee's, which was a three-course cheap restaurant. And the owner realised that wrong place to start this and took it out to Campbelltown, stretched himself financially and went bust. So me and the other apprentice chef walked down Oxford Street uh, after we were let go Christmas Eve and knocked on the military advisory office and said, can we join? Yes. Can we finish our apprenticeships as chefs there? Yes. So in we went. Uh, two months later, off to Kapooka, Wagga Wagga. And the closest I'd become to finishing my apprenticeship as a chef was Dixie Judy for three years over different times here, there and everywhere. What's Dixie Duty? Judy. Ah, where well you get to go to the mess and clean all the Dixie drums—that's what they, uh, your big pots and bits and pieces. So all those military folk will get that terminology.
0: <laughs> I'm but just a mere civvy. I've got no idea what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, you—you've just got to get on board, and um, but you—you're interviewing the right people to learn that lesson from from a military perspective. And our motto at 6 R hour, that's where I ended up, Delta Company, was duty first for those infantry guys out there. And still, to this day, I, I follow that that mantra wholeheartedly and with my moral compass that I'll do my duty for this country and others above everything else, regardless of financial benefits or moral or immoral gains. Um, so that's that's my compass. It's fairly... Fairly strict, and whatever I've got to do to achieve that, those outcomes, I'll do. Um, yeah, so so the military was 1987 uh, to 1990.
0: Um, oh, so only three yeah, years?
1: Only three years. They tried well, to bamboozle us in 1988 in Malaysia at Butterworth where a couple of civvies walked in and demanded we sign forms to change from three years to four years and two of us decided to tell them to stick it up their date, obviously to our detriment and um, we (laughs) then, as usual, uh, myself was sent away for different things to get out of officers' hairs and and allow the rest of the sheep to sign across Um, and about Two years later, most of those guys that did sign said, oh, you were the smart one. We should never have done this. I don't want to spend another year here. Oh, well, such is life. Um, Yeah, so that was, we had three months in Butterworth. And funnily enough, I just sent off on the weekend my submission to rifle company. Uh, Butterworth's <clears throat> new inquiry that, uh, I know you want to get in politics, but the defence minister's put out there for the next 12 months to state that hopefully we might get warlike surface out of that. So, and there were a couple of incidents which were warlike while we were there. Which, um, we had a mortar come over the back and that individual that launched the mortar then blew himself up um, and we went on high alert there for seven days.
0: Where's Butterworth?
1: So it's at the top end of Malaysia. Um, okay. Basically Penang, which is the little island, um, is just off to the west. From Butterworth, so it was the airbase there that we've had since basically the Second World War and the Malaysia campaign in the 50s. We um, supported Malaysia to stop the communist invasion coming further down the neck to Singapore um, by having that airbase there um, basically prior to Vietnam and, and after.
0: Okay, mm. so what happened when you like what did you do after you got out of the army?
1: Uh, It was an interesting time. So when I got out of the army, I was still only 20. So I went from earning roughly close to $800 a week back to $250 a week as a storeman at Motorama Holden at Springwood.
0: Mm.
1: And, yeah, just in their spare parts. Um, After a little while, I realised that this isn't really what I wanted to do and good old infantry skill sets don't allow you to do too many jobs in this country Um Well, I all. think a
0: lot of people now, I think it's changing, but I think a lot of people still view those that have come out of the Army, all they know, know how to do is hold a rifle and point and shoot. Like I don't think they understand the other skills that come with being a service member as well.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's right. That, those skills that they do set, like self-discipline, self-motivation,
0: Critical thinking.
1: Yeah, problem solving constantly. Yeah. Teamwork, um, leadership. Yeah, teamwork can be a part of it, but then sometimes it's singular work too, depending on where you base yourself in the military or where that takes you. Um, it, it is it is a really good skill set for life. However, um, really there wasn't, you know, beside my truck driver's license, there wasn't a lot of skills I could use in City Street when I came out. Um, straight away so I set about going back to high school and finish my year 11 and 12 at Cooparoo High in one year Uh, reason being that um, I wanted to become a fisheries officer in Queensland and they required year 12 and a forklift licence so I got my forklift licence at Motorama Holden and then to go back to school um, to do that I ended up um, getting a job at Greenbank RSL which is Queensland's largest RSL club now, and uh, as their first bar manager at that time, and subsequently sub branch, and and on the board for a couple of years while it developed into the monster it is now. So, yeah.
0: so, where did you go from there? Because I've heard you've done private investigations work, you've done criminal investigations. There was a sailing accident in there. Um, like you've had a fairly full life, so keep going, yeah. basically, James. <laughs> <Keep> going.
1: <laughs> so, so, so from there, um, uh, in the end, I ended up moving closer to high school for that year, which, which was the best year of my life, I must say. It, it was pretty fantastic. So, you going back to high school as a twenty-one year old, you have a lot of young students who just need a bit of a leg up in either one or two subjects to get into uni so most of them were 17 or 18 and needless to say my weekends were full with different dates pretty much every weekend when I turned up to school on a bike with a leather jacket and bits and pieces, was pretty cool and worked <laughs> at the RSL club so I had a good year um halfway through that year though the fisheries department when I rang them said oh we've just amalgamated with DPI and there won't be any positions filled here for the next couple of years so that didn't sort of turn out the way that was meant to. But um, anyway, I then uh, met a friend through a friend who was right into landscaping, um, Michael Hartog, and and he taught me how to landscape for the next year or so and I kicked off my own subcontracting landscaping business and worked uh, on South Bank there in the redevelopment of that after the... um, uh, 1988 uh, World Expo and, um, yeah, did a fair bit of work there. And that that was good for the soul because you're playing with dirt and plants and bits and pieces and had a good time. It's something very
0: grounding about having your hand, yeah, hands in soil, isn't there?
1: It, it is, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I was always doing something. So I, I did uh, uh, my qualifications in... Um, Oh, it'll come back to me, but in marine studies so I ended up getting my coxswain certificate at that time too and didn't utilise it then but had a bit of time on trawlers and other stuff at the time and then basically I ended up moving into a residence um, that was available in Hawthorne uh, in Virginia Avenue in, in Brisbane and most people know that's right on the river and um, ended up working for a gentleman, James Penny, which is yeah, It's a pseudonym for his real name, but he was a really big player in Brisbane. Um, Still is. He lives on the Gold Coast now with wineries and bits and pieces in the hinterland. But he had some landscaping businesses, but he needed somebody that could um drive his scarab out for business meetings out into the bay and bits and pieces. And He also had the island, if people remember, the old ferry that used to go across at Lytton to the other side of Brisbane River there. He turned that into a partying vessel and basically after six months I sort of become his minder to a degree and then he he offered me (laughs) a deal that was make or break if I wanted to stay with him and I chose not to Um, that that deal I probably will hesitate to actually go into too much details on it but let's just say if you're going to cross a line to go onto the dark side of this world that's the line you would be crossing. So, what
0: does when you said that you ended up being his minder? What what does that involve? What is so what would, would you term as a minder? Are you doing security yeah. or are you like running errands for him?
1: So all of the above. So I'd run right. a few errands. I would stand uh, around the meetings, come to difficult meetings with him, tap people on the shoulder <laughs> if they weren't actually Wait, behaving. I love
0: it, you went stand over and then changed what you were going to say.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's, it's it, you know it. it it's a role. He is a businessman. He, he was part of what we called the b- back in the days. Basically, oh, don't, don't
0: identify. Let's not identify who he is properly.
1: But so, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. So I was what was I? Twenty two. Yeah. Oh no, sorry, a little older, twenty four, because I had my twenty fourth birthday party at his place and invited Wayne Goss to the. <coughs> excuse me. To the party, and he um. Actually, had to decline because he had another engagement at the time. But I was in interesting circles at that time.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know who Wayne Goss is, but it sounds important. Oh, he was the Premier of Queensland for oh. quite
1: some time. Labour. Oh, it's yeah. probably. Yeah. You, you can thank him for that large road that you have between the Gold Coast and Brisbane now.
0: What year are we in now? I probably weren't oh. even born. Oh, no, we were in the 2000s, probably. 1990s. Yeah, 92. I think 92. Oh, yeah, no, I was born. Yeah, so but too anyway. young to bloody know all these politics. So, so because of my refusal to
1: go to the dark side, I I then vacated one rainy night and and went to a good SAS mate of mine's place for a couple of weeks and then back to Sydney.
0: So you literally had to sort of slink out of there quite
1: e- extricate myself. Or if yes. we were talking in military terms, a tactical retreat. Yes. lingo. Yes. So tactical retreat. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh shit! Okay, so you basically you were worried that you knew too much and that you weren't able to leave freely. I knew enough, and nice. and,
1: and and on borderline of uh you know, should stuff should, that
0: you stuff that you probably he doesn't want to get out. Exactly,
1: and my moral compass said, you know, like it, it's not, it's not really me. I, yes, I could do it. That that's no yeah. issue, but it's not, it's not me. How did
0: you know though given this person this individual sounds um uh wealthy and influential how did you know though that he wasn't going to come looking for you after a couple of weeks
1: um well for a few years um and and I'll explain when I moved back to Sydney I went straight back to good friends of mine who private investigating company and um I grew up at school with, with Gavin and his stepfather, John, and they have Scott's Mercantile, which, well, Gavin now has Scott's Mercantile, which has been a company that's been ongoing for almost 60 years in investigative work around the country, and went back, and, and I'd had my licence prior, which I got through them in the early, or late 80s, early 90s, and said, look, I've got to do this. Here's what's happened. Um, this is what I know. So I actually ended up getting a job at the state bank where James actually banked at the time and I could do a bit of monitoring on the side if I had to, <laughs> on where he was and where he might not be. So I, I used my skill sets then um, to, to do that. And unbeknownst to me... Are you sure
0: you're even a bond?
1: No, well, <laughs> well it, it could be. It could be. <laughs> I do have a cousin that is in that realm, although he's retired now. But, anyway. um, but but my one of my other cousins, who is directly related to that other cousin, um, was the general manager of of collections for the state bank at the time, and we didn't know for forty eight hours that they, he'd just employed me. So I had a fast track um, banking. Career for the next two years It saw me go from looking after credit cards to personal loans to business loans to big corporate, le- corporate leases and yeah, and that was an interesting couple of years and then uh, which allowed me then to just keep eyes and ears on on individuals that I thought might want to know where I am. But
0: so when you're saying that, are you? <sighs> and I want to be very careful how we word this for legalities, but when you're saying you're keeping eyes and ears, are you are you keeping an eye out from a banking system or are you keeping an eye out in regards to networks that you've got?
1: Uh, all of the above. Okay. So, yeah, and and never did anything with the information, just wholly and solely um, if I uh, had a report in front of me and I glanced my eye over it and looked for a certain name or well, perhaps I could see what they might have spended their last credit card purchase on and So if you're
0: if you're sitting in Melbourne CBD and suddenly there's a transaction happening in Melbourne CBD you'd suddenly get a little it, nervous. It wasn't
1: quite connected
0: there in the right. early 90s oh, that yeah, much of so course it wasn't, we yeah. were still
1: running the systems from from offices so you you weren't that uh, mobile with that sort of data or information so they were in closed circuit um, communications between the banking computers and their head office and bits and pieces. So you, you couldn't actually be mobile with that sort of information at the time. Okay. Yeah. It um, was an interesting time. But, I, I you know, at, at that time, I actually had four or five jobs on the go at the time. Of course you did. Yeah. So private investigating, working for the bank. Um, <clears throat> my father had kicked off a water business called Dewdrop and um, doing deliveries for him on a Wednesday, and I was working in the hospitality industry as well at the Harbour Diggers and on Sydney Cruising Restaurant. So I had a bit going on, but it was a full life. Yeah. How
0: long did you do that for?
1: Oh, that was a couple of years there. And then I made the journey back to Brisbane uh, in 97 for a couple of years and um, started working for my good friend Ian Lawrence who had Aussie lifts and working with them. And then branched back out into hospitality and worked at Logan, which is where I actually had my first PTSD meltdown. Um, the general manager and the two IC were actually corrupt and were fleecing the club with money and the head chef and myself. Hang
0: on a minute. Is this, are they
1: convicted? Uh, that, they were sacked at the time
0: and. I'm just trying to be careful against defamation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just say that you weren't um, happy with management there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, management weren't quite doing the right thing, and um, there was an investigation. And towards the end of that, um, basically, it ended pretty messy for all of us, which then put me on my couch for three months till Foxtel was cut off and. Bills weren't paid and um the lovely real estate agent had sold me the house, got onto it for me and we ended up selling the house basically for break even, walk away. And um
0: At least you weren't in debt though. At least you No, I, I yeah. wasn't
1: in debt, but it was a pretty tough time and,
0: and Yeah, but you could mean you could have lost fifty grand if it needed to be a quick sale, you know, you could have then still owed that to the bank for your mortgage.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There could have been a whole range of different outcomes yeah. which were pretty poor then. And a good German friend of mine come and grabbed me one day and said, you've got to come and live with me to get your shit together, basically. And um, so went there.
0: Hang on, James. I just want to circle back. When you said you had the first P- uh, TSI, Is the injury.
1: Oh, P- PTSD, yep post-traumatic I call it,
0: I, I like, because I don't think yeah. it's a disorder. I think it's an injury, so.
1: Yeah, well, they've renamed it. Um, Have
0: they? What is it? What's the technical, <clears throat> what's the formal well, term that, now?
1: That's there. It's still PTSD for me with major depression. So yeah. uh, the happy pills will keep you sort of half balanced. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And books. it was, it wasn't diagnosed for another 20 years, but. Yeah. But
0: you mentioned at the Bowls Club you had your first, did you say breakdown, like your first episode yeah, how, so how did that manifest itself? What did that look like?
1: So so that manifested itself with, with the corruption that was going on at um alleged corruption. Uh, alleged corruption. Yes yeah, I can picture it now with the money going missing. But anyway, um alleged corruption. Yeah. And and Well I'm
0: just doing it for legalities, <laughs> Jason.
1: I, I hear you. Alleged corruption. Um basically it was up for myself and the chef to prove the fact which we went to the police and and they took it on board um and but it turned out to come back to bite us in the ass a little because even though they were sacked it was
0: uh, just speak up a little bit James.
1: yeah even though they were they were dismissed it was you know a cleaning up of the club's management and bits and pieces at the time too and didn't want anything to get out on their reputation so we all let go but um yeah, and again, a bit of reprisals, and the way your brain thinks from a military training perspective, you you go into okay, what's worst case scenario? You know, wh- what are all my options? Where does this all lead? Night, I found myself driving around with a loaded shotgun in the back of the car, and also keeping it under the bed just in case, because we'd taken down a couple of individuals that reputations... We're a little bit shady, from the sounds yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly right, mm-hmm. and allegedly allegedly and and your moral compass you know and and your head and and it, you know that with the military training and the way they train you and the way your brain works after you've been trained that way it's really disappointing emotionally that when the truth is there or the corruption is is highlighted that most people shy away from throwing it out there or when presented with the facts in sibby Street tend to work around it because it's kind of norm- normal to actually facilitate lies and corruption at a white or blue-collared level. Um, and it, those whistleblowers, even today, are, are just a lot of them are then segregated and, um, you know, cast out to kind of, for themselves. So at that time, that, that that's what it felt like for the chef and I. And we both went through some pretty difficult times and it, it wasn't easy and hence, um, it, and you would have called it major depression now that I'm aware of what, what actually took place with the PTSD, that just sitting on the couch watching Foxtel for 90 days was just, you know, all I could do. And it, it, it just was... A very difficult time that to try and drag yourself out of that um took courage from a good friend of mine to pull me out of that situation and take him to their place and and then I ended up getting a a physical fencing job with a small contractor and um that physical activity then allowed me to get my head right and so it didn't there was no medication involved there was no um um, understanding of actually what took place, other than me spending three months on a couch. But um, yeah, it was it, when I cast back and look at it that that was my first big mental breakdown from from that perspective, from things I'd seen and done in the military.
0: Hmm. And when I, you it, say,
1: "Yep, keep going."
0: When you say "seen and done" in the military. The three years, and you were based in Malaysia in that time.
1: Oh, no. it was only sorry, three months in Malaysia in that time. Right. Yeah. So there was three main incidents, which which back up that whole situation. There is that that the fact that they want us to to change from three years to four years by signing a single piece of paper without any. I oh, look, fellas, here's. The military and the government have decided not to have three or six-year terms anymore. They're going to have four-year terms. Now, what that means, if you're six years, well, you can get out after four if you've only done three, or if you're three years, you're going to have to do another year's service before you can actually leave the military. They didn't explain any of this. It was just, you need to sign this form, and basically no questions asked. So, When you read it, you went, well, that's legally not quite right. So I'm changing a contract that I signed, you know, 18 months ago to then extend my military service for another 12 months without anybody explaining anything to me. So another friend of mine, Peter, um, and I chose to go against the river and, and the current and say no to our detriment. Um, and then left it at that. But one of the biggest things that actually triggers it for me is that we were training out at Greenbank, um, in 1987, which is a live firing range, um, southwest of Brisbane. And I'd been, for whatever reason, held back, um, uh, to tidy up on the Friday afternoon with several other individuals and Sergeant Um, was with us with a reservist who was driving us back into a Anyway, we left probably an hour after the rest of the ones that were out there by truck, and as we were driving down um, Middle Road at the corner of Andrew Road, uh, an explosion almost blew the Land Rover off to the side of the road. Now, what that explosion was was a a large um, – those things that hang up on the – Telegraph poles. Well, it'll come to me in a minute. But uh, uh, tran- like a transformer. transformer. So, yeah. Can, it, was a, yep. it was a very large one, and two SeQueb workers were actually working on it at the time, and it just started raining. But something happened, and it blew up. And Jesus. there were just there was oil on fire, just being spat out like rain. One of them blew from off his harness, who obviously copped it the most, into a gum tree, and fell down the gum tree, and lit the gum tree on fire, and was burning on the ground. And myself and Larry got to him first. I pulled my shirt off and we rolled him and got him out on fire. And the other guy's hanging there under the transformer with his harness still attached. And we're trying to tell him, you've got to cut himself. We can't get up there because there's fire going everywhere. And eventually he cut himself down. Now, at that same time, Sergeant was still at the car, just sort of uh, a little... um unsure of how to do deal with it or unsure to act or whatever his deal was. And anyway, I think in the end he sent a couple up to the nearest house and we got blankets and water and bits and pieces. The ambulance came eventually and we um they were they were taken to hospital. They they both passed in the next forty eight hours with over ninety percent burns to their body. But we were chucked in the back of the Land Rover and back to the barracks and, and just our clothes that were covered in burnt skin and bits and pieces were just chucked in the bin and off we went into town to have a good night out now, never any debrief, never any um talking about that it was basically we just basically got pissed that night, and then nobody ever talked about it again now, twelve months later at a large I think it was a change of the colours for six hour that same sergeant was awarded What's the a what change of the colours. That's where the Queen's representative comes and gives you a new flag because the old flag's that old that it had to be replaced. So right. the colours of the battalion six hour, and it's a long service. It was four hours. A lot of people fainted and fell on their heads at that particular parade, and and the Governor General did did that particular changeover. But
0: six hours.
1: Uh, it it was over four hours. It was a well, long they, time.
0: They don't what are they doing? It's just here's new flag. Jesus.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> that's military for you. in seconds.
0: It? Here you go, mate. It's, it's,
1: it's the prompt and ceremony of the oh, thing. Oh, yes.
0: Bloody hell. Yeah. Five
1: we're, not at, hours. we're not at war. We've got to fill our time in somehow. I <laughs> know, oh, boys. How about we retard that as black as we can make it and we'll do a change of the colours in the middle of summer so that half of you will fall over and faint and hurt yourself and the rest of you And this is in can...
0: Queensland, so it's...
1: At, at Brisbane in Onogra. Oh, brutal. Brutal. I think it was 35 degrees. It was horrible. People falling down. And probably 80%
0: down. humidity or whatever as well. Oh, just nuts.
1: But anyway, so <laughs> Unbeknownst to all of us, gets presented with a bravery award for that incident.
0: Get now, out of town.
1: No out of town at all. No, that's exactly what happened. And it was... At the time, you think, oh, really? What the? And then what happens you... if
0: you need to do a wee when you're out in parade? Oh, wow.
1: Well, just, that's all self-discipline. Can self-dis- I ask
0: weird questions, don't I? <laughs> S-
1: self-discipline. <laughs>
0: My brain's so weird.
1: <laughs> you, you could blame that on the humidity, but, um, you know, maybe there's a bat flying over. There's plenty of them up there. I don't know. We might get the Hendra virus while we're standing out there. Ugh. Who knows? <laughs> Oh, that's what's wrong with me. That's what happened. I remember. Yeah, but <laughs> it it just it, the hypocrisy of of organisations, government organisations, and basically all levels of our three tiers of government in this country can, for me, my morals and and my sense of duty doesn't allow me to to. Um, basically roll over and play dead when these things yeah. happen. However, at that time, that's exactly what we did. A couple of us got together and went, What the f- he did nothing out there. That's just bullshit. Anyway, um It's always you know,
0: the thing you guys that get the glory, oh, isn't it?
1: Well, wow, he wasn't even he was he was when he got that award, I thought, Wow, I I don't think he earned that at all and I don't think the people giving this award understood exactly what took place on that day. So um your military training will suggest especially in that is to act first regardless of your 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 safety right so you're at that level um, perhaps his career in the military had kind of softened that training from day one and perhaps his nature softened that quick reaction right like I, i'm 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 just throwing it out there i don't know but um, and look, no, nobody would come across that incident. I reckon the chance of that actual incident happening at that time as you're driving past is one in a billion, like it's yeah. ridiculous timing. So it, it happened obviously for a reason, and under his tenure. And, and look, I he was a nice guy, like, I don't get me wrong, like, him and I had you know really interesting discussions and bits and pieces, but. Oh, there's no buts. it's just it is what it was. You know, I can't change that. And um and that's how it took place. And and but I will say that possibly he should have um pushed that whole incident a little higher to get recognition for the individuals that actually got in and and did the job, you know? A hundred
0: percent. And I think maybe instead of it was a selfish situation that he Cap potentially capitalized on the for the award rather than recognizing those that also were there and assisted.
1: I'd I'd love to know if he knew it was coming prior. Like I I don't even know. Like I'd made inquiries a long time afterwards when yeah I had to fight DVA over um these issues and because they would never admit to it. But yeah, I don't know, and I, I don't think he's alive anymore either. So. You no, know, I don't know. I okay. I don't think I ever know.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. Were there other incidents? Oh, look at it. That I was think... pretty brutal in yeah. itself.
1: Yeah. from From my perspective, I'd always been one to question authority in the military, which may or may not have made me a decent soldier. <laughs> My my <laughs> colleagues would say,
0: <laughs> more probably. Yeah. Uh, what is it? The ones that question and think for themselves more go into special forces. The grunts uh, uh, are meant to be yes people.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Like, are you really a soldier? Well, I don't know. I was good at it, but I don't know. my head was quite <laughs> there. But anyway, um, uh, uh, one of the comments was recently, or a little while ago, was that, oh, he was hard work. Yeah, so <laughs> but,
0: hard work, or just made people. Uh, think and explain things more, and consider their decisions rather than just I oh know. Anyway. I question.
1: I question. I I, yeah. I will continually question because that's how my brain sees the world. That I'm dyslexic. I'll throw it out there. Totally dyslexic. Even with my submission to the to the Rifle Company Butterworth um, Tribunal that's happening in July and onwards, is it? I couldn't even spell rifle right. My, my partner said, "You'd not even get that right." What it has, doesn't have two f's. I said, well, it looked right to me. But anyway,
0: Spell check's your favourite thing on computers.
1: Well, I read it in my, like if you have a look at my, my resume, that Rifleman has one in it. But I just, but it allows, i tell you what it does do, dyslexic, is it allows you to pick up on weird things when you constantly look at stuff, which made me a really good private investigator because if you throw me a file, I will meticulously go through it and I will pick up patterns. And weird things, and then follow those little weird things and patterns down as many rabbit holes as possible. Which, you know, if we, it, it's the one constant employment I've been really good at for the last, since I left the military. And um, it's put me in some really life threatening situations. And then it's allowed me to be who I am today to be able to assist people in a range of different areas.
0: Um, so let's talk about the private investigation work. What year did you yep. start doing the the p i work?
1: I first got my license in nineteen
0: ninety one okay yeah and when you're saying that it put put you in some really life life threatening situations explain that what sort of situations were you investigating that made you fear for your life um
1: in certain circumstances with the finance companies is that they will have an element of their loaning practices that are um loaned out to criminal gangs or criminals as such because the financing cycle, you know, a lot of the banks will come out at different times in, in the cycle where they'll just do crazy lending practices, knowing that full well that ten to fifteen percent of their book in that particular whether it be a business overdraft or a personal loan or a credit card or whatever is going out to to bad debtors. Now part of those bad debtors might be the criminal side of things, and the clever white collar criminals will utilize this in a, in a range of different ways. And um, so, when you are with the private investigating working on some of those activities, and initially back in the day, it was more to do um, with my private investigating work, was around repossessions of, of goods and, and bits and pieces for businesses and private individuals. And but the
0: finance companies are just lending to comp- registered companies or individuals. They're not necessarily understanding that they're criminal organisations, are they?
1: Well, they don't realise till they get bitten. Yeah. Um, you know, and and but they can also there's no law against um, lending money to a convicted killer once they get out. Yeah. So they've you know, done their time. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. But but they're prepared if they wanted something and they borrowed the money for it and and their um, way of life has been that that if they don't want to get rid of that thing they will hold on to it forever and a day because you know the, the one particular incident with a Ford Bronco um, in Saint George in Sydney um, he was um, well known criminal to the police and, and obviously had mental disorders and bits and pieces, but um, he would not let go of this Ford Bronco to the point where he'd park it between two trees and chain both sides of it. He had these two crazy dogs that <laughs> he he would do a gun action with his hands at them, and these dogs would just want to go and eat him. So he trained them. If the police put the guns over the fence or whatever or produced the gun, that they would just, no fear, go, go and attack them. Anyway, on the back of his front door inside the house, there were several guns hanging. And Anyway, I befriended him because my ability to actually get inside people's heads and and nurture a relationship or facilitate hearts and minds, I call it now, but I could do that. Anyway, six months, and the, the bronco had been hidden, but then it turned up, and we um, formulated a plan sat with the police, listened to his rap sheet that went on forever and ever and ever. Um, the next morning, police came um, at about five o'clock in the morning, and there was, I kid you not, 50 or so to surround the house. Um, and we had two tow trucks, one to pull it out from the trees, another one to pick it up and go with it. And it was a basically a military operation that, that turned out all right in the end, but it got ugly at the beginning when he realised what was going on and come out and um with a weapon and the police obviously augmented to him that he the best course of action was for him to put that down and tie the dogs up and he uh, got out there. But these were um the, there's probably at least a dozen similar to that where, you know, if I'd been off my game when I sat down in his house and talked to him.
0: So did he on. know why you were there or were you just Oh hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, no point. So you were no like, Hey mate, yeah. we need the truck <laughs> yep. you know, and then over time you just sort of yep. build up and this relationship with him. Exactly. So- oh, my ex
1: wife's got it, you know, I can't get it to you, oh, we will get it eventually. But you know, to the point where he'd give me marijuana every time I came there. Not that I smoked it, but you know, if I said no, well, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. So I you know, just Yeah <clears throat> I have that ability to to be able to um win over hearts and minds, you know, and just sit down. And not a little person. And it's been a, a um, skill set I've had to develop over the years. Um, and at times it doesn't work so well. I, I worked for local government for 15 years at different councils in New South Wales. and um, <clears throat> I'd always get that I was gruff when complaints would come in. But that was more because I was direct. And, again, I put that down to a military training thing, but, you know, sometimes to deal with bad situations you have to be direct and people could say that comes across as gruff but
0: it's it's basically i think people can be a little bit sensitive i i I personally prefer i'm quite direct and i personally prefer it it's for quite difficult as a woman because you always get labeled as being a bitch and um difficult but you know if you're a man and then it's you're assertive and and you know what you want, you know. So it's it's even harder as a woman. But I just cut through the bullshit, you know. Just tell me what you want, and we'll sort it out.
1: The most di- <laughs> the, I'll tell you now that you've gone there and opened that. Um, the most difficult. Come on, James. Let's go there. <laughs> the most difficult individual I've ever had to deal with is a female bully, because uh, it, yeah. it is so hard. It is really really tough.
0: I was listening to. Um, I think it was a Jordan Peterson thing and he was saying that with men about women and that their way of, I'm going to butcher this, but basically he was saying with women their way of violence because we're not naturally violent um, is that it comes out in a bitchiness, bitchiness and, yeah. you know, it's underhanded, rumour mill and and um, stuff like that. Whereas men, there's always a threat of violence. So it's different. He was it, it, explaining it that way. So it's it, it, I can understand because he was saying if you have a woman that's crazy as a man you can't deal with it because you you know, can't hit her.
1: It's our forty two chromosomes, isn't it? Like you yeah. go back to caveman days, we were yeah. uh, we were there to go out, hunt and kill, bring it back. Yeah. Women were there to nurture the
0: family and make that work back oh, James, home. you and, can't say that these days. It's not woken up. Well, it's not oh, woken up. Right. <laughs> It's a good thing we're not woke on this podcast.
1: (laughs) I'm glad the roles have reversed. Fantastic. Yeah, beautiful. I'll just nurture at home, but I'm not good at that either. So I don't know what I'm Uh, meant to do. I don't know.
0: Talking to you, you seem very um, calm and open in terms of an energy. So I would say that you would be quite a good nurturer. Ah,
1: you haven't seen the dark side yet. It comes out from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it manifests its, itself as like a crazy cartoon Tasmanian devil that's just going off. But um, really, yeah, it's nuts. It does come out. And, How uh, does
0: it manifest itself? Does it manifest itself in anger, like when you trigger it?
1: Yeah, exactly right. And and right. you know, just recently, it, it because of corruption issues, it, it manifests itself on Saturday. Um, and the guy didn't quite deserve it, but you know, it basically rose to a level that both sides were getting their points across.
0: So are we talking yeah. verbally or are you talking Oh yeah, look, I will refrain us. from
1: being physical unless I'm attached first. Yeah. yeah.
0: And and look, in that thirty
1: years of private investigating work, there's probably only been two or three where it's had to get physical. Yeah. Um the rest is is verbal and sometimes your tongue can be the best weapon you have. Yeah, your mind can work either way, then too, sometimes. But um yeah, mm-hmm. at the end of that in private investigating career prior to me retiring in two thousand nineteen, it was high end uh criminal gang
0: work. Um, that Just I speaking work to your microphone a bit more. So when you're saying yep. high, when you're saying high end gang work, are you talking like more and um, what are they called? What are the gangland? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Stumbling okay. on that
1: a lot of the times for the financial industry to um follow rabbits down holes and again you know i'll say this about the financial industry when you when you do follow those rabbit down holes and you get the proof that it's organized crime doing these fraudulent activities or well, the powers to be in the finance industries tend to walk a million miles backwards and leave you holding the baby too so and and that that that's a rule for me that's hard to fathom. Like, I kind of get it, but don't ask me to go and do all that if you're not willing to stand at least a couple of feet back. But if you're going to run a mile back, well, why am I doing it in the first place, you know?
0: Um, okay. Well, let's move on from that for legal reasons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but it, 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 it it's all civilian. You know, it's government. It's uh, high end. Anyway. It goes right across that. And and that's the hardest thing, you know, like a, a diligent military person, their their morals when it comes to this sort of thing are fairly stringent. Yeah. Know? And because they wanted to give and their duty and service, it's really hard to break. It's something we carry for life.
0: I think it was um I can't remember, it was Troy or someone I was speaking to. And I was saying that the I, I, the reason why I've got such a soft spot for military is that it's su- it's a voluntary service. It's such a selfless thing to put your hand up and say, I'm going to put myself in harm's way to protect others and the country and I think it's incredible and people that have done that afford me the situation to sit on the couch or, or have a latte with my mates and bitch about the world because I have the ability to, to do that, you know? So my
1: my heated exchange on Saturday was, I didn't go and do what I did so that you could have your lovely electrical business and sit back and have a really nice life and enjoy all the comforts and bits and pieces. Uh, I did it so that Australia could be a better place. And if yeah. I, you know, and, and there was more words said, but we won't get into yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and that's how we feel too. And- yeah.
0: I, I One of my very first interviews, I interviewed a um, a lady that uh, her hus. she had a very interesting career. She was ex-prison officer and had done a lot of stuff herself. She's probably five foot nothing and, and a pocket rocket, very fasty. And her husband was um, in the SAS and she had an altercation one day with a lady who was bitching about... Um, probably should have had an issue more so with the politicians in regards to where they were sending troops, but she chose to put that more towards the troops and uh, she gave her a few choice words in regards to, you know, the fact that her her husband was the one that was putting the life on the line and and affording her the possibility and how dare she speak like that. And I fully um, support her in that, you know, it's true.
1: It, unless you've been there, you won't understand it. Yeah. You know, and, and you, it's always nice to walk a million miles in somebody else's shoes, but I don't know how many people will do that in a in no. military. Pair of boots um, in a first responder pair of boots. You know, there, there's a lot of people there that have just done that and given. You know, there's a lot of giving. In, in Australia, there, there is a huge amount of volunteerism. Yeah. And... Slowly but surely, and this is my biggest concern in some of the things I do, is that um, the things like lines and Rotary are slowly whittling away because there isn't a lot of younger generation coming through to give back. They're giving back in other ways, like a GoFundMe thing or, or whatever they want to do. But even when you look at that and you tear that down, if we go to the bushfires and the GoFundMe page that made millions and then was given over to... Um, the Red Cross,
0: I think it was. And I think that there was an there was a legalities because when the way that it was set up, it had to go to the particular organisation organisation to it was set up. Like it was a whole, there was a whole legal. Yeah,
1: uh, and yeah. Have, we have the same thing with the, the poor young kids, and I'm not sure what God was thinking with the um, blow up castle down here. That fund that ended up being taken over by council in the same sort of
0: really. Yes. I did not think that they could legally do that. You're going to have to explain that. So there was a, there was a situation where there was a blow-up bounty council castle, yeah. castle in Tassie, and there was kids on it, and the wind took it, and unfortunately, yeah. um, children uh, were severely passed injured away. and and passed away. Yeah, it was absolutely tragic Dev- accident.
1: Devastating, wasn't it? I was in Sydney mm. at the time with my sisters, and we we're all devastated by it. But I, I, I knew two um, families. Through third parties or, or relations that were directly affected by it. And, oh, goodness. you know, there's a battle. There's a battle for them too, to what was set up for them and the families.
0: For the GoFundMe, yeah. It,
1: it, it just, yeah. Look, it's the same thing that that happens to everybody when it comes to money. You know, sometimes that greed factor, or they might think they're doing the right thing, but it just doesn't work out. So, it, for me, I, I've been a, a Lion for 13 years now and, you know, Lions is an interesting organization It's been around over 100 years in in, in America and 75 years in Australia now.
0: Can you and, explain a bit more about what <clears> Lions
1: does? So, so what Lions do, they were, they were set up by a businessman um, in America, Melvin Jones, to where basically – Business owners and and those people in the community, prominent people in community could actually give back to their community without, you know, partisan politics or religion getting involved in it, without, you know, casting any sort of um, judgment over anybody. But they basically now formulated themselves into anyone can ask the Lions for some money or anyone you know, pretty much every disaster you see around the world, there'll be Lions in the background donating a hell of a lot of funding or resources to those um, areas that require it because of um, flooding, earthquakes, natural disasters, or or any other cause. You know, the Lions has a range of different pillars, from um, diabetes to sight to uh, Environment—they they cover all that, and most of the Lions here in Tassie. As I sit in the district, um, I'm on the chairman for disaster relief and um, chairman for environment here in Tasmania. And, and most of my colleagues in Lions are—the average age is 70 plus—and trying to get the younger ones into Lions is very difficult. But Lions as a whole give Pretty much everything they they have, so we don't there's no wages there's no money paid to any lines we basically donate our own time we purchase all our own gear <laughs> we actually have to pay for the privilege to do that too we pay one hundred and forty odd dollars to Lions international to keep that body going every year to to be a volunteer so we're actually paying to be a volunteer but <clears throat> it is a it is a really good concept and the reason I've gone there is that uh, for Peter Clark and Due South Australia, we, we're using a very similar principle, um, which we're calling the 90-10 principle now, mm. to actually donate, for every dollar that's given to us, 90% of that will go to the front end of veterans and first responders' mental health, right? It it really is, um, we see it. Um, for first responders around the country, a really big deal because they're basically state-based. A lot of them are volunteers. And the state governments, for better or for worse, are only just now catching up to the veteran community on, on this really big issue. And it's been a big issue for all those different emergency bodies and they've had to deal with PTSD and a range of different other mental issues in their staff over numerous decades and forever as long as they've been evolved. Yeah. But it, it, they've never really funded it, right? So um, our idea at Juice South is to give back as much as we can to be able to facilitate mental health, wellness and wellbeing courses where we will take at Juice South the cost of accommodation. Just move your mark in front of your mouth, honey. Yeah. So, so the cost of accommodation, we we will carry that. The cost of of meals, we will carry that. Um, the activities will be at as low cost as we can make them, as long as they have a professional mental health and well-being practitioner as their core part of them staying with us at Juice House in Aldersley. So, um, you know, it. it We've sort of catchphrased it to high quality, low cost, right? Um, high quality mental health for low cost um, mid year resets is what we've our early term for it. And we, you know, we, we've basically um, been able to utilize our business now to
0: then offset the costs of that. And so t- I think. Let's go back in regards to how you decided to set it. Um, you and Peter decided to set it up, or Peter decided to set it up, and then we can actually talk about what it is. Yeah, because okay. I know we've sort yep. of touched on what you guys do, but I, I do want to go into it more detail because it's fabulous. So, how did it come about?
1: So, a good personal friend of mine and Peter's um, down here in Tasmania, Simon, introduced us. He, I'd been talking to him and helping with him a couple of issues he had. And he said, you know, I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine who I think might need your nouse and a bit of your help. Um, So we actually met just after Anzac, uh, no, just before Anzac Day two years ago um, in La Trobe at Banjo's and had a coffee and instantly hit it off. I saw him walking up the street. I'd never met him and I hadn't seen him before, but I could tell by his swagger that Ex-military and and wanted to have a crack at something. I said, can you, "Can you
0: tell by the walk if someone's ex-military?"
1: You, you can. We we have a swagger.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a confidence thing, or is it like a the stride, uh, like a the yeah, gait is different? It's like just don't don't don't, don't bother me. me. Yeah, that, yeah, you can use that word. I was going to say we swear yeah. on here, yeah, James. Exact,
1: oh, beautiful. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It's like and I've got a potty mouth, so that's why. <laughs> yeah,
1: beautiful. Yeah, it's don't f with me. I know what I'm doing. So. Yep. And and it's funny when you know um, Pete's uh, RAF and I'm I'm Army and and there's always the the niggle between the two and the Navy yeah. get a niggle as well so it's, it's yeah. interesting so it was but it was very good and and what it was more about at that time was um, initially you know he, Peter had, in a lot of his postings he was always uh, due north.
0: Oh, James, you're frozen. Sorry, you were saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll go back. to the swagger. So, the swagger of Pete as he walked up to Banjo's and I just held my hand out and said, Peter. And he said, James, yeah. But like, it's like we've known each other for, for a very long time and very like-minded um, and we just hit it off. Anyway, so my mentoring at that stage was setting up how Due South would be best set up and to actually just come along for the ride with Peter.
0: How did the concept come about in the first place? You
1: know, he's he's 25 years in, in the military and was looking to get out. Um he and his wife have set themselves up financially and and have used good business now to to be in a position where they can give back. And he wanted to know, well, his idea was to how could he give back to to veterans and first responders. Now, I'm a veteran, but I'm also a first responder, and yeah. to me, that just was a perfect linkage because um, you're a fiery, aren't you?
0: yeah, I'm a fiery
1: yeah. Town. we haven't and... we
0: haven't touched on that yet <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> Ah that's all good there's plenty.
0: <laughs> I yeah. feel like we've got like another thirty years to go of your story, but anyway well, let's finish the let's finish well, the juice well, south side of things.
1: that that's about true. <laughs> I think we're only up at that young stage but then
0: anyway. um
1: yeah so so the juice South. We, You know, Peter and I then had discussions on a weekly basis, uh, which turned into meetings on a weekly basis, and we basically started the groundwork. Peter started, um he was younger than I am, doing the uh, IT stuff and the networking social stuff and all that sort of stuff that led us to a podcast thing over laptops and whatever this white thing is in my mouth. <laughs> um <laughs> Headphones and yeah, yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I'm old. The... I'm I'm old school, so I I did the legwork. I said to him, "Well, all right, I'll go win the hearts and minds of politicians and any other organisation that I think
0: people, James.
1: Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them to a point. Yeah. But yeah. but always have the compass pointed. So if you have to pull them up and tell them that their moral compass ain't right, you can do that too. Yeah. So and I do do that probably a lot um yeah but yeah so i i then did that so i i started um oh we, we peter and i then went to our first veterans mental health week um commitment down in hobart and we met like minded groups down there like mates for mates um soldier on uh military brotherhood um uh, open Arms and and obviously the RSL, which has been around forever and a day, mm. and you know started our networking there. Then um, I said to Peter, I said, look, if we're really going to help first responders in this sphere, if we look at this closely and we break it down, DVA will help, and the, and the military itself will help veterans financially well once they do identify these issues and problems. Um, whereas first responders. Get very little, and and that's nobody's fault. It's just the way it's been set up, and and being states being the states, they haven't identified it as a really big issue up until now, and it, and it is now becoming a very big sphere. The well-being and mental health of first responders in all states and territories, which is a good thing. So we we then decided that um, if we have a bit of a project on how best to Um, get ourselves involved with first responders at a state level. So we wrote to the minister who then invited us to have a meeting with the Director of Wellbeing um, and Mental Health here in Tasmania and we ended up doing that and and we're working with the state. Um, Nothing's in concrete yet, but we are working with the state to develop programs using our facilities for all first responders across Tasmania um, and hopefully that will then progress across the nation uh, in time. And um, and attached to that too is that we're, we're working hard with all the veteran communities too and there's um, a really good thing that, that's happening here. There's a veteran Bernie hub being developed here um, which come October and stuff will be out there in the media in a big way and we're closely linked in with them as well at the moment to, to facilitate things that we offer that they won't be offering. And there's a model that we're all sort of working together now to, to actually deliver high quality at low cost and, and low downtime or, or time that veterans and first responders actually have to utilise to, to access all these facilities. So we're trying to bring them into a, a, a close geographical position from, from Burnie, Devonport and Olveston here in the north of Tasmania. And we do have – so from the end of this month um, till November, we've got several um, organisations coming to use our facilities. So this is the first time we've actually gone live with our, our offerings. And um, So what are your offerings? So, so basically, Due South offers <clears throat> free accommodation here in Olveston. Yep. Um, free food, yep. um, which is nutritious and 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 really good. And and the experts will say that good, fresh, nutritious food is really good for your mental health. So, uh, attached to that, then we have a range of different activities. Now, we we have a hundred acre lot that we have access to up the Leven River here in, in Ulverston, which from all of our accommodation, which comprises of um, basically a, um, a motel, which will be officially announced very shortly here in Ulverston, um, which will have the ability to, to have 100 plus persons there in the winter months. And then we already have three separate accommodations, which can cater for up to 50 individuals over those three separate locations here in West Oldhampton. And they, that 100 acres then as a crow flies less than two kilometers up the Leven River, which allows us to kayak up there or kayak back um, and have a bit of forest bathing. And there'll be uh, undercover facilities there to stay the night and cook up and utilize. Um, or just meander through the beautiful bush up there that has wedge-tailed eagles' nests, um, a whole range of bird life and fish life, we get fish, Um, and just really take in that cold climate rainforest and that cold climate wet and dry eucalypt forest that we have in spades here in in Tasmania. but it's also from there, there's there's access, you know, just a K and a half up the road to the walking track up to Cradle Mountain. And we're also halfway through developing a little micro farm attached to that 100 acres there. That, I
0: know, I saw that. I'm so excited about that aspect. Yeah. yeah. Just,
1: Pete said, what are we going to name it? So <laughs> I said, well, how about I just, I know the Japanese have a term for forest bathing and um and I put that on the website. I can't remember what the name is now cause I'm <laughs> dyslexic. but. Um, and I said, oh, how about I make it up? All right, what's Japanese for farming and and forest bathing? Why did you go j- to
0: Japan, though? Why Japanese?
1: <clears throat> well, I read an article in good old Jet Stars magazine once about oh. forest bathing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I went, that's that's like <laughs> Yeah. That,
1: well, not that I really want to plug Jet Star, but anyway, no, uh. good on them. Um, they cheaply move us around the country in cattle class. I love it. Yeah. But, you know, it, it it makes sense because the Japanese have that one word for forest bathing where you can just be at one with nature and if you sit there long yeah. enough, amazing stuff happens to your head and your body and all the rest of it. So with this micro farm, it's the same sort of deal because it's technically – you know, the edge of a rainforest with a creek running through it and, and on the side of that and we can take that in whilst putting our hands in the dirt and making something grow. And and these are all all these things I'm talking about now. So push biking, kayaking, we we do have a a licensed guy that's gonna take abseiling and rock climbing activities as well. And 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 we're just building up that set of tools that when the veterans and first responders Come and stay to us. All they have to do is get to us. We, we've got a 53-seater bus that was donated by Disaster Relief Australia. That's being all rebuilt and rehashed um, by Easy Blocks up in Queensland to get all this done over a promotion thing they're doing. And um, now I'm going to get all excited because I'll tell you what we think, why this is all happening, or part of it. But um, but all the veterans and the first responders have to do when they come to Due South is to just get their flights into launceston or devonport and then logistically they don't have to do another thing we do all that we take all that away we cook we accommodate them we bust them around we feed them that's all done all they then have to do is have that professional well-being aspect and mental health to their course and that doesn't come cheap that, that's fairly expensive to get somebody that's seriously in that field to deliver a really good
0: ongoing service so hang on a minute i just want to stop you to clarify something <laughs> yep. so if if there's an ex vet or first responder that says hey i want to sort of have this experience or i need some time off that you know i'm struggling yep. at the moment do they do they just contact due south and then Do south organizes everything or do they have to say okay i'm going to organize a group and i'm going to organize yeah. a mental health component to it and then contact you guys so they're organizing dates and stuff how does yeah,
1: it exactly right. It'll have to be group okay. based. We we we're right. not set up to do individuals otherwise it would probably just overwhelm us right. with all that extra activity, so it'll have to be a group based. For instance, uh-huh. um, we've got the commandos coming down in August. Oh
0: good. Yeah,
1: so that that's really good. Um and uh are they talk-
0: current serving?
1: Yeah, current yeah, serving oh, I, oh, good. I I believe. So um, we have Kookaburra kids we're liaising with. They wanna bring yeah, what
0: is the Kookaburra kids? I don't even yeah, know.
1: Yeah, Google better. it up. They they work with veterans and first responders, um, kids that where the veteran and first responder um has mental health issues. Right. And so the they parents. work with the kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. So they, they, they take the pressure off the kids to try and educate the kids about that whole thing that the whole so then the veteran and the first responder's family is more educated as to why mum or dad might act in a certain way and do yeah. something in a certain way, um, so we're working with them. Um, uh, Cam's Cause, which is a, a local here, so um, the VC winner in in Afghanistan, um, they've set up a. Um, uh, oh, Pete'll know more because he's dealing with it, but um, they've set up a bit of a um, a charity, and they're. Bringing some through, and then one of uh, Pete's um, guys he worked or he was, you know, the boss of in, in the military. Um, JJ, we're setting up a, a um, gym for him um, in the facility, um, and his parents are coming down to open that because, um, unfortunately, he committed suicide last year, which is really sad. But and, oh, and the Agi group that Pete's a part of. Um, got together and wanted to remember JJ for, for his worth and, and all the good things he did. And anyway, they got together and said, well, how about we donate to Juice South and, and Juice South come up with the idea for having the gym for him. And yeah, there's a whole concept of that going to happen, but that's, um, yeah, t- tough gig. And, and, and hence why that drives, that was the ultimate drive force, I think, for Peter, um, is, you know, Probably almost annually, he may lose someone that he worked with. Um, you know, through through, I would say the bulk and the majority of the time through a mental health issue at, of some kind, driving that loss, and that it's it's a tough gig. Um, but yeah, but due south, basically, we've adopted our 90/10 principle of giving back, but the big thing and the big lesson that well I've seen it is huge and I, I know it existed but Pete's learned over the last two years is that the more we give, the more that seems to come back through just like minded groups and charities that can see the benefit of what we're trying to build and achieve here mm. for the greater good because the end product is actually um delivering for the veteran or the first responder as best we can, the high quality of that mental health and wellbeing at a very low cost and low-pressurised environment where everything's
0: taken care of other than them getting themselves to Tasmania. Do they have to organise? You said that I know that um, Woolworths is on board in terms of the food, donating the food. Yeah. But do they have to organise chefs and and stuff or do you organise that? No,
1: no. Yeah, so Due South has a commercial kitchen. So yeah. that'll all be taken care of um, and and prepped up. Um, there, there may be a small fee here and there for larger groups if we've got to get in a chef and stuff, but it'll be kept as there'll be all volunteers basically running it. We might even have volunteer chefs working the, the system. Yeah. But worst case scenario, there might be a small fee there. Um, if I give you an example, um, you know, we're hoping that for the state government first responders that, that they may put through us. It should be no more than a hundred bucks a day for the activities, the accommodation, the food, um, and all the activities being run. So, from our perspective, if we can keep that as low cost as possible and deliver a very high quality service, then um, you know that that's great for us. The other thing is that they can bring their own mental health or wellbeing specialist, and we're open to that if that's what they want to do. And we've said that to the state government. They have a whole team and committee in regards to their mental health wellbeing down there that they can utilise their own skill sets if they wanted to reduce this cost. Um, but we do have a professional that's working with us to develop and deliver the mental health wellbeing programs if they don't have someone they can call on to do that. But that that costs, you know, but it, it's... um. The, from our perspective, that that cost is, is worthwhile because there'll be life lessons.
0: And oh, all, yeah, absolutely.
1: And all these activities and skills and bits and pieces that we'll be putting them through is that for everyone with PTSD or major depression or whatever it will, it's happened through that mental health um, incident through their first responding career or their veteran career, they will pick up things that, um, if we give them enough that actually work for them. It, it's not one-size-fits-all, well, I've learned in mental health. It's um, having the ability to actually grab something that actually works for you. And and I know for myself that if I don't go near the ocean for a week, I'm I'm upset if I'm not around the bush or not getting my hands dirty or basically jumping on the motorbike and taking my helmet off if I can and go for a ride. I, my mental health suffers all the time so you
0: need the wind in your luscious flowing hair that you've got there
1: <coughs> well <like laughs> i'm like I I say, jealous
0: i think it looks better than mine
1: <laughs> you know St- star wars was built on on the premises of good and evil and if you want to be a wookiee you've got to look like a wookiee
0: <laughs> that's funny <Yeah>. so <laughs> They are the cutest of them all. All the characters in Star Wars. So, well, yeah, th- you go.
1: thank God the podcast isn't video.
0: <laughs> well, there's a reason why it's not a video because I'm the bloody host of it. Um. So where do you want to, like, where do you want to take this? Are you just you just focusing on Tassie, or are you going to take this national? Um, in which case, where are you getting your funding from? Because you're a registered charity.
1: That, that, that's correct. You South Australia mm. will be a registered charity very shortly. Um, and The funding actually comes from private enterprise. Like, you know, we're we're not um, simple individuals. We're we're smart business individuals. And and what you'll find with veterans and first responders that do suffer from PTSD, most of us are really highly motivated and functional, right? We just fall over when something triggers. That's the problem. So that high motivation and functionality allows us to have businesses and things that we've done in our past to put us in a financial position where we can give back now that's not to say that that's all that it's going to be but what we're doing with you south is is at the behind it is a, is a business model that allows us to work hard <clears throat> and smart for half the year to be able then Offset the costs for the other half of the year to um, deliver the services at a low cost, the veterans and first responders. So it's a business model um, supporting a charity that then supports first responders and veterans mental health and wellbeing. So when the concept comes out now we that 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 side of it's pretty much polished and tucked away what we really got to focus on in the next two years is to make sure that the program we're delivering intertwines and meshes extremely well with the professional side of veterans and first responders, mental health. So I'm talking psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, um, and we do have a really good doctor we're working closely with here in Northwest Tasmania, Andrew Clark, who, is ex-military and was retrained to be a doctor and he's really good in his the sphere. Um, there's psychiatrists out there that particularly um, are in the veteran sphere that are talking to us as well, and then a lot of psychologists. And we've, we've basically <clears throat> chosen one of those who's ex-veteran to be our program coordinator for the mental health and well-being that we will supply if, if the groups don't have that facility, or can't find someone to suit, um, and we're working closely then with the state government and their wellbeing department, um, and a couple of those guys have been handpicked as veterans um, there, and then all the rest of them are obviously first responders or within that sphere. So we've got to polish it. We we think there's a real opportunity that we've basically turned the the veteran, um, not that a lot of the veteran organizations deal with first responders. But what we found is that 50% at a minimum of first responders are ex-veterans because that's where they found what they were missing when they left the military to pick up for their their, um, moral compass and and well-being is they needed to give back. They need to utilize that duty first type um, morality to give them a better life or at least feel Worthy of of what they were doing, so in regards to that, we we really want to polish this model here locally, but we are bringing in national groups, but polishing the model here locally to a point where we think that we could, if we get this model right, take it anywhere around the country Mm. um, and and allow others to adopt it and and run with it to benefit their entire community, because you you'll find that. If you look closely at the first responder community, that almost every family will know someone. And it's probably tenfold the veteran community. So Mm -hmm. that's where we hope it will go.
0: If people want to, um, if people see that this is the deserving charity, which it is, and they want to help. What's the best way? Do you need volunteers? Do you need donations? Like what's the best way for people to get involved with Due South?
1: Yeah, look, from a volunteer perspective, if they're based on the northwest of Tasmania, we'd love to for them to drop in and, and say good g'day um, at a time that suits them or make a phone call or contact us um, <clears throat> via our website um, or directly, um, Pete's mobile's number's on the website there, give us a call. When it comes to donations, we'll be doing a couple of things once the charity's fully registered next month. Is we will run a raffle. Um hopefully kick that off sometime in the next financial year and, and that's um a fully rebuilt nineteen seventy two
0: Mark I Mustang. Oh beautiful. Donated.
1: Yeah, yeah, it looks like it's gone in sixty seconds type vehicle. Um and And then, second prize is a a 1999 um, R1100 RS BMW. So, both used vehicles, but quality. Um, So, we'll be running a raffle um, for that to generate some operating capital. Um, But any other donations will be welcome. And because we will be a registered charity, you know, they'll all be tax deductible. And, um, you know, so if people feel that way inclined, but what I will say to them is that, Look, let us get the runs on the board. And if you've got any questions, just ring us and talk to us and we can give you the honest answer. You'll always know where our money's going, all those donations, because our principle of 90-10, so 90 cents and every dollar donated, will go to the front end for first responders and veterans' mental health. We will not take any wages. So just like Lions and Rotary and the rest of it, It'll all be volunteer based Our board won't be taking any money from that. Nobody takes a a cent. Okay, I'll be honest. <clears throat> Some of the costs, um, if we have to, you know, run the bus or whatever, there'll be a fuel card and bits and pieces. But we will only ever take ten percent out of that donated yeah. dollar. And 10%. it's not like
0: you. It's not like as um, <clears throat> directors of the charity. I don't even know if it's a director. Whatever, as people with the charity affiliated, you're not taking millions of dollars in a salary.
1: Oh, well, there yeah. are no salaries. There's yeah, nothing. Exactly. That's all volunteers exactly. because, yeah. because we're in a position to be able to give back and it's the power yeah. of giving. I keep saying that to everybody. You try this. Try and give as yeah. hard as you can everything and you, you will be amazed what comes back. Now, it's it's a lesson I can't teach you. you kind of got to do it for yourself. But if you do do it and you do it with your whole heart, my goodness, amazing things happen. And mm-hmm. if I I will tell you a quick story on yeah. that, is it?
0: No, Crandit's had Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah, okay. uh, yeah,
1: all right. We've got another year. <laughs> I've, um, I've,
0: still but, got, I've still got I've still gotta find out how you bloody nearly died in your sailing accident.
1: <laughs> oh, you don't wanna know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough gig. I am gonna keep that for the next one. But um,
0: Okay.
1: Um so Peter and I decided that we needed a bus for this year to be able to pick people up from the airport and bits and pieces so we went um down to Baghdad in Tasmania and that's not Baghdad in the middle east even though Pete's been there a lot um this is Baghdad in um, in Tasmania just north of Hobart so a busing company um ha- had one i think it was 25 seats and um so we went down and had a look at it and the price was okay a bit less than 20 grand and we thought so, yeah that'd be fine lovely people had a good chat and bits and pieces um so that was on the Saturday, I think. Anyway, Sunday night, Peter talked about it, and we had our good bus mate, Baz, come and um, have a run and check it with us. And we thought, yeah, it's old and tidy, but it'll do for a while. Anyway, um, I had to do some due diligence around registering it as a charity and talk to um, uh, Service Taz here in, in Tasmania in regards to those questions on the Monday. And So we did that, and then... I was assisting one of my military brotherhood boys who got into a bit of trouble um, at the courts in Launceston. i come out of there and my phone had gone off. Anyway, I rang back and it was Disaster Relief Australia. And Pete was about to pull the trigger on saying yes to this bus down at Baghdad. Anyway, DRA said, oh, would you guys be interested in a bus? And I said, you won't believe it. We just went and looked at one on Saturday, and we were just about to buy it. And they said, no, 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 we're going to donate one to you. So they donated us a buck. Now, that relation...
0: How did they... How's that affiliated? How did, you, how did they yeah, know about you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that, that relationship started um, not at the first Veteran Health Mental Week um, promotion we went to, but at the second one at Launceston... Um, we set up next to Disaster Relief Australia. Um, they hadn't actually come to Tassie, but they were just about to. And they're right across the country. They were originally called uh, the Rubicon Project, um, which was started in America for veterans to give back. And, and, you know, whenever there's an emergency or a national disaster, they'll go and do that. They go in and assess and help and where they can assist. And so DRA was set up oh, probably half a dozen years ago here in the country. And Anyway, they were about to come and set up here in Tassie. Now, they officially opened a couple of weeks ago here in Tassie. Um, But we met them at the Launceston Mental Health Week, which was 12 months ago. And we've sort of liaised and worked with them slowly but surely. I've assisted them with the Lions here in Tasmania District to give them a couple of spots to put their emergency response containers, um, one at Kings Meadows Lions Club and we're talking with them possibly they might come and use our facilities here in Alberston as well. So we set that we set that in motion and more of, you know, giving either way to try and help both organisations. And Lions Australia actually really do support disaster relief across Australia by giving a lot of funds and, and and doing it through that community and it is a really good organization because 80 percent of their volunteers are actually ex-veterans so they're oh really yeah when you look into it it, it's a great concept and it gives those ex-veterans something to do and feel to channel
0: that yeah yeah,
1: Yeah. feel that i call it a moral compass you know that pendulum within us that keeps us on an even keel so yeah that 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 relationship developed to the point where they donated us a bus, and um, that bus is now being um, part of a promotion for Easy Blocks in Queensland, which is a ex-veteran running a range of different companies up there, um, wanting to do a, a donation to us this year and and to re-get really the bus back up to A1 condition and and utilize it fast down here in, in Tasmania. So, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, like I said, it's a power of giving. You know, we we mm. gave time and we gave energy and we helped another like minded group that was there for the right reasons and in return at the eleventh hour they saved us twenty thousand dollars <laughs> by yeah. donating a bus. You know, which that twenty thousand dollars could basically, you know, help at least twenty first responders or veterans in in a twelve week um, mental health wellbeing course one day a week or whatever that might be over the 12 weeks, but you know high end um, psychology analysis and and tools um, that will then follow up through an app, you know, for their life cycle or however they want to use that, um, and all the activities that we can supply in the accommodation and, and logistics without any cost to them, that'll give them some natural tools or simple tools. You know, it could be cold water therapy. It could be just going for a ride on your push bike. It might be abseiling. You might be, you know, rock climbing or yoga or you know, forest bathing or uh, micro
0: farming. Did, how are you finding that the perception of from a civilian, i.e., me, and I'm generalising. I'm um, obviously can't speak for all all civvies out there, but the the perception of the people from the military is they're a bit rough and tumble because obviously the job is it's not a you're not sitting there in a five-star hotel you know you're out roughing it and whatever um how do you go with the vets and first responders going okay now i'm going to do yoga i'm going to do some forest bathing they're going to think it's bloody woo-woo like do you think that are they open to it in terms of a concept
1: the commander
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, um,
1: they're, they're actually up for it. Oh, good, um, good. And, and, and look, I, I think the spotlight's been on veterans' mental health yeah. for a long time now, and, and the Royal Commission's working on it, expanded on it, and they're going, great guns. So let's hope that the <clears throat> end report actually you know breaks it right down. And, and I have a bit of a mantra that <clears throat> says, look, alcohol ain't going to fix your mental health. Yeah so when we go to the pub, I'll order us both a schooner of milk. right? Now, I love that.: Yeah, exactly. I challenge them all to that anyway. but <laughs> but but the ethos behind it is, I also then challenge them to tell their story, right and tell it to a group, because it's therapy. But the more we can break down, and, and it's tough, because the Australian military standard is based on the ANZACs, right? That no matter how many bullets and bombs are coming our way, we'll get up and jump out of the trenches and, and yeah. run at them, right? Yeah. Now, that says you've got to be that big, tough Aussie male or female and run into bullets. Well, great. The military will train you to do that. That's fantastic. But on the other side, they won't train you to come back into Civvy Street. That doesn't yeah. happen. So, the more we normalise what we've done in the military and the more we talk about it, and I'm talking warts and all, right? Tell the truth. Tell your story. No matter how bad it is, you can deal with the truth, right? We just get it out there because if we normalise that, that'll then allow normalisation of all those issues that the military goes through that 99% of this country don't understand.
0: I think that's one of the reasons why I love having military people on the podcast is because it sheds light on the reality of what the role is and what the job is. And I know that there's different roles within the military. It's a large organisation as one of a better word. But if you don't know, you don't know. And the more we talk about it, the more people can have a more of an understanding in regards to the realities of that job and the impact that it can have on the individuals.
1: If I go, my brother lives in New Jersey and I I try to go every two years, COVID's put a cobwash on it, but when I I love going for the 4th of July. You know that (laughs) one of the beauties about America, and it takes you a while to get it, but is that they are so patriotic. You go there for a 4th of July into any community, there's a flag or 10 flags at every house. There's every fire truck and emergency truck and everyone walking down the road to celebrate. The 4th of July, right? They're veterans and and all the rest of it. They just, they do that so well and it it creates a community strength. Now, we do have it here, but Australians being Australians is, it's always underlying until we get pushed to the hilt to stand up and have a crack. And that
0: is similar to Anzac, you know? Like, yeah, it's the patriotism sort of under the surface, you know, you don't want to be too overt about it. But, but, that
1: in lies the self-defeating prophecy here because put it out there. Yeah. Tell the story. You know, Put mental health out there as a normal thing. Don't hide it behind a beer or behind a closet or behind some dark room in your house. Get it out there because that's the therapy. Right? Yeah. And And that's the therapy that will work for most. It might not work for all. So then come and find some activities that work for you and then maybe you might be able to open up you know, it's a bit like the public speaking scenario is that most people can't do it because they haven't done it or they haven't practiced it or they haven't thrown themselves into it because they have a fear of standing in front of a lot of people. Well, I've found just be yourself yeah. right, Yeah. and be honest to yourself and be truthful. And if you can throw that out there, right, and we all have fears and we all have those sorts of things, but if we can normalize that by just, telling the stories then we will be in a much better position in 20 years time when it comes to mental health for both veterans and first responders because it'll be normal you know if you look at the likes of SES that go to road crashes where there's huge traumas and deaths those guys and i always call them the poor cousins in the first yeah, responder world because true. that they get absolutely no funding they get very little support and backup, but it is changing. I will say it is changing, but not probably quick enough. They really need as much as we can give them because they see it all. And then they go home. And And because we all drive cars and, and we're on the road all the time, their triggers are right there. And then it's not as if they have to go to Afghanistan to have more or into the jungle they're, to have more. They're them.
0: seeing that scene, the sight of that scene every day. Yeah. Every day. And yeah.
1: it's. it's and we, we need to understand that. And the only way we can understand it is them to tell their story so that we can understand. And, and then, you know, it helps. It, it's a fulfilling prophecy because they're telling the story. People are listening to them. We're starting to get it that we might not have got before. And we can sort of work forward with that and support them. So. Long pause. Are you going to say something?
0: No, it's just taking it all in. 'Cause it's true. Um let's pivot. Ooh. Let's finish up on a final story, the sailing accident. Oh,
1: you want the sailing accident.
0: I want the sailing accident. <laughs> <laughs> we will
1: ah, finish on that. Right. So a mate of mine own well, Jesse um, is the name of the sailing vessel. And um and I'd always wanted one because I do like to sail, and I've always sailed with lots of people, and I've had smaller ones, but not a – she's 33-foot, Um Probably the toughest truck in the water by all accounts. She'd done a couple of Sydney to Malulubar races back in the day and does all right. And um, anyway, so I owned her for two years, but she has a mind of her own. She definitely is a vessel How can a boat
0: that, have a uh, mind of its own?
1: Will you tell me? So, I don't so, know. It
0: doesn't have a rudder and you point it where it wants to go.
1: <laughs> and and that is extremely relevant to our story. <laughs> so anyway, um, Jessie, she, when I first purchased her and moored her down at Port Sorrel, um, she broke free from her mooring on Easter Friday three years ago now. That's how I met our good mate Baz, the bus driver. And uh, hello, Barry Duckett. Loving your work. Um, he, he is 72 and and a really good man. Anyway, he, um, seen Jessie had been broken off her mooring and ended up on Rabbit Island. So she managed to go past all these other yachts around the corner and just land up on Rabbit Island. And they'd been there for a week and the good old department down here that looks after all these things took a week to contact me and let me know that that was the case. Anyway, they give me Barry's number and I, I spoke to him and, we met the next day and hence towed her off, put her back on the mooring um, with a great deal of trouble and some help from Launceston with a big uh, boat coming down to pull her out. Anyway, Barry said to me, look, I lost my yacht in the 2016 floods in Devonport, went out to sea and broken up in bits and bits some pieces, and I'd love to learn to sail. So we set about the next 12 months learning to sail. We realized that um, Barry doesn't like the cold too much, so he needed a vessel where
0: he lives in Tassie, though.
1: Yeah, <laughs> where he could be warm and still <laughs> sail. So I said, "Well, you better go buy yourself a nice big yacht." <laughs> so he went and bought himself a nice, beautiful, big yacht called uh, Innisfree, and she's a forty-foot um, zeston. Beautiful, beautiful, nice pilot house. Keep yourself warm no matter what the weather is outside. Doesn't matter. So perfect. So then we sold Jesse, and we sold it to a guy down in Hobart, and. And he stated that he you know, had been sailing for a bit and wanted a yacht. Bits and pieces. Anyway, we turned out um, he couldn't get anyone to help him take it down to Hobart. So Baz and I sort of volunteered for that. Now, this was going back in October last year. And if you remember, there was a big east coast low developed late off the coast of New South Wales and become a bit of a monster and sent some big swells down. Anyway, we left Launceston out the Tamar and um got around the top of top east of, of um, Tasmania and headed down the east coast. About six o'clock that morning, um a sow easter came in and was pretty ugly, so we decided we'd get into Binelong Bay and um anchor up till that passed. Um but at that same time or earlier on that that morning that east coast low had developed to the point where it's going to sell some really big swells down from the uh, northeast down into that area. So we sort of got our way in. Took a while to get in there. We we moored up on a 60 ton trawler mooring, mind you, with two bridles on there. Anyway, the waves were coming up to four meters the first day, and then the next day they were probably up to six meters. Sometime we'd been there 36 hours. In the middle of the night she broke free now we were sleeping now she decided to go well we don't know but she somehow made it 10 kilometers back up north around four headlands sloop reef and a whole range of things and if you have a look there she ended up on the gardens which is you know this is all national park stuff where Bay of Fires and all that sort of stuff just right there Um And somehow she just dumped us on the beach. And um, when we hit the deck, Barry fell out from the top bunk because he was up the top on that side and fell down onto my bunk and busted three ribs and punctured a lung and uh, broke his shoulder blade. Now, he's 72. Anyway, I told him and the new owner to get out and I went looking for a couple of things, torch and phone and stuff to find out where we were or what had happened. In case we had to contact someone, couldn't because we're getting bashed by six metre seas. So there's a lot of you know hydraulic movement and, and pressure coming in and bashing that boat around like no tomorrow. And anyway, we we they got out, and then I was a minute or so after, and I just stepped out onto the, the low side and onto the sand and water, and saw the new owner and said, uh, "Where's Barry?" He said, "Oh, I haven't seen him, much. So I said, "Well, you've been out here for a minute." We're, anyway, yelling. I could hear him out in the water, so he's behind the boat out in the surf zone. Now I got out to, I jumped on different pieces on, and was getting pretty wet. I got out to my neck and could hear him. And then a couple of minutes later, he went silent. Oh, shit. So I just kept yelling. I said to the new owner, I said, look, there's a light down on the point down there. You go down there and get help. There'll be a house there somewhere. Anyway, I keep yelling and couldn't hear him anyway, so I just thought if I keep yelling, you will be able to hear my voice and know which way is back into shore. And the new owner come back about 15 minutes later. Just and said, put your mark
0: in front of your mouth.
1: Right. The new owner came back and said, um, "Oh, there's only uh, the moon and the clouds down that end. There's no house or anything." I said, "All oh, right." He said, "I'm going to go the other way." I said, "All right. Well, you go the other way." And so I went up to that light. Turned out to be a house. you had to climb up a cliff and get in there. And, knock it up, and, and I had a busted mouth and busted lip and there was blood all over me. God, and so you look like a sight.
0: These people living in the middle of nowhere and this.
1: Yeah, well, it turned out to be. Know. so. No one answered that door, but stumbled around to the neighbours and they had a glass door down the bottom of the house, a holiday house, and they were holidaying from Brisbane. Anyway, I face-planted straight into this glass door and it's all blood. <laughs> Jesus. And woke everyone up.
0: I don't know, a bloody murder scene or something.
1: Yeah, and a lovely wife come down and... and Eventually, I persuaded her, opened the door, and told her what happened. So, we're onto the phone to the police. Emergency services turned up within about 40 minutes. And that's a fast
0: response for that area. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely
1: brilliant. St. Helens, just the paramedic was on his game, and they, well, they saved Barry's life. So, but her son and husband, um, her son was a lifeguard, her husband um, was right on. So, they went down the beach and they, went looking for barry and anyway as it turns out the the new owner had stumbled across barry about 100 meters down from the boat the other way and dragged him up onto the sand dune Um, but his core temperature when the paramedic reached him was 26 degrees so
0: um
1: then we had a when we get to st helen's hospital we had a lovely doctor who was ex-military from britain FEMA, who just set about doing what she did and getting Baz back and realized he had a punctured lung. Obviously, her skill sets picked that up fairly quickly from military stuff and got his core temperature back up. And he spent a week in Launceston Hospital getting that done. But on a positive note, and this is a mental health, sorry, this is a physical health for all us males out there, he ended up getting his prostate. Sort it out too because the thing I said to the doctor, I said, I don't care what you do, right, but make sure you check out his prostate because he has been putting it off for months and months and
0: months. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you <laughs> so he's in hospital with all these bloody banged up and you are like, check yeah, out his just,
1: Yeah, exactly. Fix his prostate. <laughs> don't care about the punctured lung, the busted ribs and the broken shoulder blade. Just fix his prostate. So, so they did a, that test. They did that test and he had to do a few more tests. And it turns out that it's all good, but it got his mental health back because it' had been affecting him, been putting it off and off because the numbers were up and down a little back in a couple of years earlier so that that's the lesson. Just get the prostate dealt with. don't worry about it, just get it done but um <laughs> yeah so so, but the moral of the story is Barry is now deep into Due South Australia charity and will be an integral part of Due South Australia as well. He is a role model for a lot of us, never been a first responder or a veteran, but wants to give back in spades. Yeah. And again, it's that, that you give, things come back. It just, yeah, yeah it's, it's a good thing to do. And it it's, it, it's out of our control. Due South now has the ability and is growing on its own steam outside yep. of all of our control.
0: I think it's a fantastic concept and, uh, yeah, I think it's terrific.
1: Yeah, so so that's the sailing one. I almost lost Baz, but um, as he said, I couldn't stop listening to you, but I couldn't talk
0: because I was buggered. <laughs> yeah. It's lucky like he didn't
1: drown. Uh, very close. Yeah, yeah. Close. You think busted shoulder, punctured lung and three ribs and you're in six-metre surf zone. Yeah, 12, getting pummeled. Kind of, yeah, and Tassie, it's not the warmest water in the no. world. Uh, Freezing. Well, it, <laughs> he did, caveat, he did also say to me when we rescued Jesse off Rabbit Island that I just want to have adventures in my life. Now he tells me. "Is <laughs> had, had to, enough now. No, I've had to amend that. I don't want life-threatening <laughs> adventures.
0: He might be up for a glass of Chardonnay at the bloody wine bar or something as his adventure.
1: He's worse than us. So when we picked the bus up from Sydney the other week to take it to Brisbane, he's hell for leather on the – he said, I've got to find out what this goes like. So oh, my we...
0: goodness, no. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. So we, we, we basically our moral is to have as much fun as we can while giving back as much as we can through hog. High quality mental health yep. and low cost logistics right across the board.
0: How do people, if people want to give financially, how do they give to the charity?
1: Yeah, look, right now, we, as the charity will be formalized in the next couple of weeks, we'll then have an announcement on the bank accounts. Uh, so we're currently mid
0: May. It. So if people that are listening to this in the future, mid yeah. May 2020,
1: yeah, so, so definitely by the end of June 2020, good old financial year, and after the elections run and done um by all means jump on due south australia on on we'll have our contacts there and within the next four to six weeks we'll have the donate button and and how that social media stuff works out there um you can jump on and and donate
0: i don't know james i don't know how the social media stuff works i'm still trying to figure it out but everyone can still jump on (laughs)
1: i've still (laughs) got it know how it works I've still got my original Motorola brick phone, which was analogue. So much better reception. And and I've got an abacus, so I can work out how much you've donated to us. And and that won't go dead or break down or have sort of buffering stuff issues either. Know. Perfect. Yeah.
0: James, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, having a chat. I look forward to having you on again. I, I
1: love this. One do moment, you? please. I love it. One moment, please. One moment, please. Cador, Cador. Yeah, that, that's that was why, a wine you know brand back in the day.
0: So I had a um, people that listen won't actually know. I've never actually told this story. So I used to work with a, a lady, and I've had her on the podcast, Deb. And she used to say, in because in the corporate world, she used to be like, "One moment, please. Like everything. One moment, please. One moment, please." And I picked it up. So then every place that I went to I used to say it and then everybody thought it was really funny because I'd just say it and then they'd start saying it. So it sort of caught on. And it sort of fit the podcast, you know. One my moment please and we sort of take a moment and listen to people and have a chat. So I don't know, it just sort of ended up having having a life force of its own. But uh yeah. Anyway, it gets me to have chat to chat to interesting people like yourself, James. Well
1: here's one for you. This is military okay. now. So okay. Say again, over. Say again. <laughs> or, or what okay. about what about drop fifty?
0: What's drop fifty?
1: And then fire for effect.
0: Uh, well, okay, it's a, obviously some sort of a gun range thing.
1: Yeah, artillery. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll fire for effect. Did you get that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks, James. Oh. Pleasure speaking to you. <laughs> Well,
1: have a great day. And all those people that listen to this podcast, hopefully they'll take something away from it for their own mental health.
0: Sure they will. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them.